0: This podcast hopes to take it a step further and highlight criminal justice reform on a national level. Everyday Injustice. Today on Everyday Injustice, we have Stephanie Marutis and Emily Previty. Welcome to the show.
1: Thanks so much for having
2: us, David. Thanks, David. We're happy to be here.
0: So... You guys just started a podcast series, Obscured. Uh, What's that about?
2: So when we decided to start Obscured, Emily and I um, had not been working (laughs) formally together uh, yet. Um, We started working together officially in 2021. um, And we had worked... Previously in public media together. And what we started to see is that there is a growing need uh, for stories. uh, Excuse me, I'll take it again. What we started to see is that there is a growing need uh, to tell underreported stories. Um, We're seeing too many issues uh, remain unknown to the public, uh, basically because of underreporting. And so our idea is to focus the show on critical issues that are often missed in the daily news cycle. It's a combination of in-depth journalism where we do reporting and also have conversations like the one we're having with you um, with either policy professionals, researchers um, and other journalists. And that was our idea that there's going to be more reporting needed like this as uh, media outlets continue to consolidate and fold.
1: Yeah, I would say that pretty much covers it. I would just add that we, as far as the formats, we also are hosting panels to supplement the podcast with conversations, um, similarly to the that we do with experts and advocates, journalists, people with lived experience, and hope that brings listeners together, ultimately, in person as well. Uh, And as Stephanie said, you know, unfortunately, there are increasing opportunities um, to report on issues or stories that are, um, given the way the industry has gone basically since, almost since
0: we started our careers. And why don't we take a moment for for each of you to kind of give your background and how you got into journalism in the first place.
2: Sure, um, I got into journalism sort of accidentally, um, I had a day job and uh, I started volunteering in New York City with a Greek community radio station called Cosmos FM. And I had the opportunity to be a reporter, a producer, a host of a community affairs show, which I totally loved. It was for the Greek diaspora. Um, and I loved it. So much more than my day job that I decided to make the switch uh, to becoming a public radio reporter. Um, and I was fortunate to be able to make that transition. And I ended up starting uh, my first public radio job at WYPR in Baltimore, which is the NPR affiliate there. Uh, it's actually the whole, where I grew up as well. So that was really exciting to be able to cover news in my hometown. Uh, And then I gradually made this shift to uh, WHYY in Philadelphia, where I worked as a general assignment reporter, um, and then eventually a producer before uh, moving on to start Cuvenda Media, um, our podcast production company.
1: Similarly to Stephanie, um, you know, it wasn't the the thing that I necessarily wanted to do since I can remember. Although I did, I was writing on my own of my own volition from childhood, and you know, I can remember getting an early interest in politics um, generated by my grandparents. They started talking to me about the kind of stuff at a very young age, and um, I could, you know, I just remember those conversations with them that continued on until I was in college and. I worked for WXPN, which is a public radio station in Philadelphia. It's focused on music, but I worked for the morning news show during undergrad. And pretty much immediately after finishing college, I went to work for newspapers and eventually covered Atlantic City and, and Harrisburg during that city's municipal bankruptcy. And then got back into radio, um, doing some investigative and enterprise reporting. For uh, the Harrisburg NPR affiliate, WITF, as part of a statewide team, Houston Crossroads. And that's where Stephanie and I collaborated um, along with the rest of the team on this long-form narrative podcast series called Grapple. And that, you know, is kind of what started us working together, realizing that we made a good team and had very similar approaches and, and reporting interests, although as she said, it wouldn't be until several years later that we actually started doing that together full time.
0: One of the interesting things uh, is that I wasn't uh, destined, I guess, uh, to to be in journalism either, and so here we are, three different people, uh, all with different paths uh, to similar things. and and that's one of the things i actually uh try to convey to the interns that i work with is that you don't need to figure out what you're going to do for the rest of your life uh in college uh which i think is an important life lesson
2: absolutely and and i think in ways right that you you don't even know especially until you get out uh working and you know you, um it's it is there are some people who are predestined <laughs> A lot of us, it it takes a moment to figure it out.
1: Yeah, and I think that even in our careers, not that we've been doing this for 10 seconds or anything, but we're mid-career, and it's the drastic changes in the industry. I mean, it's just been unbelievable. And so the way it looks now is so different and would appeal to, you know, it's a very different appeal. It's a very different undertaking today than it would have been 30 years ago. So yeah, absolutely, David. It's not,
0: you just don't know. And- I'm old enough that this technology didn't even exist when I was in college. So similarly, <laughs> um, and I'm wondering, you know, from your perspective, um, you know, I was talking to you guys before we we went on the air here, um, you know, and and one of the things we like to focus on are kind of underreported issues that you know uh, things that nobody else really. Are, are taking up and that seems to be one of uh, your goals as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as we sort of touched on earlier and we were chatting about before we started recording, um, it's just the underreported stories, they're, they're there, <laughs> they're not getting attention. And unfortunately, as I think I said earlier, um, there are more opportunities to pick up on those sorts of stories as there are, as journalism just, just changes, the landscape changes, there's quality through your bodies and it just really, it, it just is always changing as far as how you do the job and, and what that looks like. Um, but I think even just generally, if you're looking to add um, and avoid redundancy, I mean, we all wanna feel like we're adding something. And I think pursuing underreported stories absolutely does that for me. Um, I got into this to do accountability work. And if you're digging up something that other people haven't reported on or looking at it from a different angle, you're more than likely going to find that accountability angle um, to bring forth. And so if that's what drives you, focusing on those stories that others are not is, is, is a good way to to ensure that you sort of fulfill that.
2: Yeah, and I think given the age that we live in, uh, we have content flying at us left and right um, on all sorts of platforms. And, you know, with the daily news cycle, you do see the redundancies and um, you see less and less. Underreported stories because they take time. Um, that you really have to develop some subject matter expertise. You have to do research. You have to develop sources. Uh, big media organizations, as we well know, are capable of um, you know fielding teams who can do that. But um, you know when we talk, think about the role of you know government um on your life you know local government right has some of the largest impact on your life or, sta- or your state where you live and you know we have fewer journalists um at those levels um and so you know being in Pennsylvania it's a significant state it's a swing state um and will certainly swing potentially again uh in this election cycle and um we have you know consolidated media outlets but we also uh you know have you know Uh, journalists who are here in the state like us who can you know base our stories here and take time to report and also look at you know sourcing outside of Pennsylvania uh, to you know draw bigger conclusions and add context for you know our audience.
0: I know for me you know the way I have my phone and iPad plugged in you know breaking news rolls out and I get like these 15 updates from all the media sources that I'm following and it's it's kind of sometimes you're like, okay, I understand this is a big story, but everybody's covered this. Why do I need to cover this?
1: Totally. David, I've had that feeling many times over the years working in newsrooms. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think Stephanie and I have a similar, have had similar feelings or reactions to seeing so many outlets cover the same thing and cover it in the same way through the same medium. And so when we had this opportunity to decide how we wanted to focus our podcast, it seemed clear um, that the underreported underreported stories were the way to go. And even prior to that, just being on different beats over the years that I, you know, it's extra work, but ultimately more rewarding to seek that out. As we've said, I think we all wanna feel like we're adding something and, and that's just kind of the way to do it.
0: So uh, I was wondering, you know, how you guys are thinking about structuring um, the series. Like, is is this gonna be like a year long series or is it 12 episodes or how how is the first like series structured
1: so from words to weapons is a bit more of an anthology you know obviously if you've listened to it it's not one quote-unquote character driving the the entire series it's pairs of episodes basically the first eight uh narrative slash reported series that is structured in a way your listeners might be familiar with if they listen to NPR really and their long form of they listen to reveal this American Life Snap Judgment. It's similar to those structures. And um, you know, each of those is paired with a QA with an expert with complementary expertise to give more context and take a look at even yet another angle on the issue. And so that that's how the first eight are structured. And then we have some panels um you know we mentioned we've hosted a couple in-person panels and we'll be adapting those for podcast episodes we have some bonus q a's and we'll ultimately be doing sort of a capstone episode where we wrap up and include some things that didn't quite fit into the other episodes so i guess it'll be i think to your point about 12 episodes when all is said and done in the forwards to weapons series itself stephanie that does that sound about right to
0: you
2: yeah i think you said it well
0: And is this going to focus around uh, law enforcement trauma or is that just one possible topic?
1: So yes, From Words to Weapons, the series is focused on survivors of law enforcement trauma. And Obscure generally will explore other topics. You know, we had... Our second episode, I believe, was Stephanie, and she can talk more about this, will we'll be, these will be called Obscured Revisited Episodes, where we go back to our old reporting and update it, look at what happened since we last reported on the issue, or we're on the beat, and depending on what we find, it could be a heavier lift, and maybe more than one episode, or it could be something that's a little bit quicker, um, you know, look a fresh look
2: at the at the issue. Yes, um, in 2021, um, we put out a series about prison censorship. It's called Restricted Reading, um, where we interviewed different researchers, advocates in the space um, about this policy issue. And um, for the episode that Emily was talking about that's on our feed, um, it was during Ban Books Week this year um, in early October. We did an episode, and I talked with several sources, including uh, James Tager. He's the the research director at Pan America, and he had written a policy brief um, in 2019 called "Literature Locked Up: How Prison Book Restriction Policies Constitute the Nation's Largest Book Ban." Um, And when we talked, um, you know, in 2021 um, for the series, he had already talked about how obscured prison censorship was from the public then, and that you know sort of catching up now two years later you know he sees that it's even more obscured um ironically as the censorship you know has come more into uh the media you know in terms of you know school libraries and public libraries um you know and and decisions to censor books it, it's almost um you know made prison censorship uh you know it's it, excuse me it's almost pushed prison censorship um to the side um and you know and James point of view uh prison censorship would constitute you know america's largest book ban um so we you know we had some policy updates from James you know we talked about there's a prison libraries act in Congress right now that would grant more money to prison libraries um, and the American Library Association is also updating its standards for library services for uh, the incarcerated or the detained so there's been some movement, and as Emily said we're hoping to come back to previous reporting, you know, we've either done together or previously in our careers and sort of follow up on the issue. Because like Emily mentioned as well, uh, these are the types of stories that we have covered previously um, over our careers.
0: And that's, you know, a topic that's still pretty ripe, unfortunately.
2: I think so. I think so.
0: Um, So how, how did you Come to uh, the idea of um, survivors of law enforcement trauma.
1: So I have covered excessive force and you know police accountability on a previous beat, um, past job, and hadn't covered that in years. Switched companies, even mediums since then, but. still interested in the issue continued to follow it and wanted to get back to it at some point should the opportunity present so that was in my mind and we were doing work um for the at the core of care podcast which stephanie can talk a little bit more about that because that predates my time at cuvenda but it's essentially a podcast about nursing I was looking to do a couple episodes on standardizing sexual assault exams across the US and came across uh, a forensic nurse on a conference lineup. Her presentation was about developing a protocol for survivors of law enforcement trauma. So I started off our interview. you know, intended more as a warm up to ask her about that, but then ended up dominating our conversation. And it was pretty clear immediately that her story and her work could certainly be involved in or the focus of our first season of Obscured, which we hadn't at that point decided exactly how to focus it. Her name is Maya Anderson. She runs the undergraduate and graduate programs Um, for nursing at Morgan State University in Baltimore is the focus of episode seven. And, you know, her vision is to create a protocol that is analogous to what one might expect to find available for survivors of sexual assault. If they present, for example, in, in an emergency room in the hospital where the exams done in a certain way, there's certain questions asked, there's evidence collected, maybe uh, law enforcement is called, although in this case, you know, maybe not. And that's part of what needs to be figured out is what's the right way to do this, but then also advocates, um, referrals for follow-up, mental health counseling, medical care, uh, legal support, things along those lines. And so that kind of started and, um, you know, we've pick up on some of the less examined types of law enforcement trauma in our other episodes in this series.
0: It seems like um, that, again, is one of these underreported stories that, you know, there's been a lot of focus on, you know, police shootings and police killings and fact that there's over a thousand each year but but there's no focus really on the survivors and i assume that you kind of have two different categories of survivors or or you could uh one who would be the direct survivors and then the families of people uh that end up killed and i've dealt with a lot of families over the years and and they suffered their own kinds of trauma um and and the other problem is when you talk about victims of violence um you know you have this whole system that's set around oh okay you know you got these victims advocates and stuff but but nobody ever deals with the people that are you know victims of law enforcement because they're kind of this weird class
2: yeah it's this dynamic of um you know, and we hear this in the podcast episode that Emily reported in episode seven of the series. It's you know awkward to call the police on the police right uh that's that's real and um it, there's all sorts of power dynamics there, and why somebody wouldn't report and um I think what Emily did a very good job of doing in her reporting episode seven is you know, telling the story through the lens of forensic nurses um, who, you know, deal with this in the emergency departments who have, you know, victims who come in and have, you know, had an encounter, for example, and there's no protocol um, for how to care for these types of victims and what to do. Um, So I definitely recommend um, your listeners to check out that episode because it is one of those aha listens to your point, you know, about you hear about these Types of stories, but not this type of angle.
0: And I know that before he was removed from office, for instance, the San Francisco DA was certain to, um, you know, uh, create and work with the state legislature to actually, um, you know, kind of formalize how uh, victims of police violence are are, are treated. Um, I don't know how far that got because he got removed from office, but um, it might be something that you guys look into if you haven't.
1: So we, I mean, we have, I guess, looked into that to a certain extent as part of the series just by um, the nature of the reporting as far as formal legislative action at the state level, we specifically focused most on compensation for people who are wrongfully convicted, wrongfully incarcerated, and how, you know, that in itself is a form of law enforcement trauma. I mean, the the person we we profiled in episode three was in prison for almost three decades for a crime he did not commit, missed all of, you know, that time um, to build his life in Pennsylvania and a handful of other states, I believe it's a dozen total. The only recourse that someone who's been wrongfully incarcerated has is to sue. All of the other states have some way and they're not all created equally. The devil is in the details, but um, they have some avenue for people to pursue compensation for being wrongfully convicted. Um, that is aside from litigation and Pennsylvania does not do that despite bills being introduced for at least 20 years almost every session. So oh. that's what we examined in, in episode three in addition to telling the story of the exonery I mentioned and his name is Chester Holman III.
0: And you guys also look into Healthcare providers, and and at what angle are you looking at there?
2: We have an episode that came out uh, on December twentieth, episode eight, uh, with a physician um, who talks about post incarceration healthcare and navigating mistrust within medical, you know, systems. And you know, she herself is based in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania and you know when she she worked you know providing healthcare to people who were directly incarcerated and, and what she saw was this you know for lack of a better word, lack of humanity uh, in the treatment um, that incarcerated individuals uh, experienced when coming into a hospital for medical care. Um, Everything from, you know, being escorted and uh, having police presence around them to, you know, maybe coming in and, you know, being shackled um, in some cases. Uh, And so that is an element. That um, you know, we talked to her name is Dr. Divya Venkat, um, and she really breaks it down. And then talks about when people come out of um, you know from being incarcerated, the in those first few weeks, especially they're at a higher risk of, of death for multiple reasons. And sort of how do you intervene um, and help someone transition? And then um, certainly in uh, episode seven, which we've talked a little bit about, with you know sort of the focus on forensic nurses in their care, um, Emily could talk more about how nurses are thinking and what they've seen um, in the care that they've provided.
1: You know, yeah, thank you Stephanie. As I mentioned, the setup, the infrastructure for that would at this point the thinking is be similar to what's in place for survivors of sexual assault where you have an interdisciplinary wraparound Set up that brings in an advocate and includes very specific uh, medical exam protocol, the collection of evidence, and referrals for not only follow up medical care, but mental health counseling and potentially legal advice. And so that is one aspect. The other would be just, you know, the need for potentially anti bias training. Um, The nurses who I met and spoke with, they, you know, they're just witnessing a real lack of empathy and a lot of bias in the way that some of their colleagues deal with people who come in in custody or after they've had an altercation with police. And so those are just some of the, um, you know, the things that came up in that episode, the themes, in addition to it it really is a a trauma-informed approach as well. So they're just pointing to a need for not only very specific protocol, but more general education and training um, on the specific kind of trauma-informed approach for these people who've
0: survived law enforcement trauma. So how can people access your podcast and be able to listen to the episode?
2: um obscured is available on any major podcast uh platform um and there's also uh, a site where we direct people to podlink and you can put in obscured there and you can see where it's available and uh, it is available as well on our website which is kuvenda media.com that's k-o-u-v-e-n-d-a media.com
0: all right well it's been great having you guys on the show and being able to talk with you about uh some very interesting uh subject matter um now I'm going to go back and listen to all your podcasts because they sound really fascinating
1: well we hope you do and would welcome your feedback given you're doing similar work so thank you so much for having us and for the work that you do
2: we really appreciated the opportunity, David, and it was a great conversation.
0: We've been talking with Stephanie Marudas and Emily Previty, Um, and this has been Everyday Injustice. I'm your host, David Greenwald. Join us again next week for more tales from the injustice system. Thank you to George Powell and Norman Mousequake Barrett for the use of our opening, Everyday Injustice. You can see more of George's music at www.justiceforgeorgepowell.com. That's justiceforgeorgepowell, all one word, dot com.